Hey, short story folks. Um, here it is, first in an experimental series. Uh, people who write and read talking about stories and stories they've appreciated, stories that uh, still resonate with them for some reason. Um, in this one, I'm going to talk with Scott Adler, who's a writer um, and reader. And he's done a lot in his life. Uh, he currently is an editor in the tech world. Um, and his writing can be found most accessibly right now on his Instagram site, which is called Inexact Memory, where he posts stories and the old photos that he's found that inspire them. Quite a cool site. Check it out. Inexact Memory. Um, we talked about Cathedral and uh, had a rambling and hopefully somewhat interesting conversation. But uh, you'll let me know and give me your feedback uh, about what you think about it. Anyway, hope you enjoy. Poor dude. Yeah, cathedral. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, I like I said, I had not read this story in about 25, 30 years, if a day. And when I was reading it, I was struck by the reality, like around the character and how you develop character. And I'd forgotten some basics about how to develop character, and this story reinforced it for me, which is. So many of the best characters are revolving around three, three points of, or three inputs, or reacting to three things in their life. And one is, what is their needs, what is their wants, and what are their fears? And you could say that was really cynical and negative, potentially, but really, you know, when you think about it, if you go to joy, which is probably the only ephemeral, you know, super light-hearted thing in life is joy, right? But it's so ephemeral. It's like lightning. It's there, it's gone, it's fast. You know, people who hold on to joy for a long time are rare as hen's teeth, right? And so I think, you know, and then love. Love, you could say love. What about love? You know, that's so much part of a character thing. But how much is love tied into, like, need, want, and fear, right? Like, everything. It's like, it can bring you great, massive rewards and benefits, but ultimately it's bound up in so much of those other things. And when you think about it, too, like, when, like you can name needs and wants and fears. Those seem very tangible. But love is much more abstract, right? If you think about it as between people, it is, you know, speaking as two men who've been married for a long time. <laughs> um, it is, it's actually hard to put your finger on. Right? For sure. It is, and, and it changes, it, it you know, it, it develops, it, it, it's a shape-shifting emotion. Whereas needs, wants, and fears, you could pretty much, like, you could pretty much call somebody up and they could name them for you at that moment. And it is an interesting contrast. I think it's why it's very hard to build a story around solely love oh right i mean obviously that's not even an issue in this story in some way in some way it is but in some for the most part it's not this one's really like you're totally right like it's about needs fears and but it but the point you make i think is a really good one is which is like especially in relationships is that at least in my opinion you know within the first week maybe even the first six hours of a relationship with somebody what are the, frankly, the shit shows that are going to be the trigger points in your relationship. Like, you know what those are. And they never change. Yeah. Everything else can change. But those things are constants. 
It's really true. And the older you get and the more experience you have, the more clearly you can see those things. Like when, when So can your partner. Yeah. Oh, oh my God, for sure. But early on, when you're first wobbling your way into any relationship at all, you don't know how to read those cues. Like right. later, you'll see them. But, and in hindsight, you'll always see them. But, um, but you're totally right. You're totally right. And, and I would even go so far as to say, at least in, again, in, this is in my experience, I was always pretty clear within about six hours, and that might take you know three or four experiences with a person to accumulate those six hours. But I was pretty clear after about six hours, like, is this one going anywhere? That's right. And that doesn't mean you like, <laughs> that doesn't mean you act on the fact that maybe it's not, but um, but it, but you know, you know. Well, everybody wants to save everybody else for a while, at least. Yeah, isn't that for sure? And I think you know, I think that's a, I think that's applicable to this story for sure and that especially the, re the relationship between the narrator and his wife you know who's saving who there i mean why did she marry this guy you right. know i mean you right. could go right there right away but and i i do feel like that is that i mean not to jump ahead which i am but i kept thinking again and again is like why is she in this relationship you know there's not that this guy the redeeming parts of this dude are just not present in this story no <laughs> no know? not until the end right right not until the end well even um, then yeah yeah so i guess what i'm trying to get to is the with the needs wants and fears is that we all kind of live around not to bring this up because it's kind of trite but it's true it's like we all we're all at the bottom of maslow's hierarchy of needs yeah and striving for the top you know, and this dude, yeah. I think, though, in his character development, the thing that I noticed and was powerful for me that Carver does with it is that his want is so huge. Like, he, it drives, his need is driving his want. He so just wants to have a connection yeah. that it's causing these challenges with the with the, everything. You know, it's causing his his... His kind of crazy dislike for this blind guy because the blind guy you know literally and metaphorically can't see anything literally but metaphorically he sees everything that this dude cannot see mm -hmm. right right so he can't you know this blind guy has a better connection with this chat the narrator's wife than the narrator has and it drives him crazy yep you know and, it, and it's like <laughs> how frustrating is that you know to think that you have this connection you're married to this woman and yet you don't know her at all and you don't have the interaction with her that you think you should have and along comes this guy that you've heard about for years who's quote unquote disabled or physically impaired however you want to put it he's blind and this this chap is the threat to your relationship? This is who you're jealous about? Mm -hmm. I mean, not all, you know. And, and he totally is. Like, <laughs> he right? you know, totally I mean, is. And, and you can, like, to then sort of, like, expand out to the sort of, like, generic relationship situation. Like, we, we've all been in those situations where the partner that we're with at the time is still in communication with someone who's really compelling to them for whatever reason. And you eventually are going to meet that person. You're going to reckon with that. And, um, and it's, it's n like, that's never a comfortable situation. And that's what Carver, like he mines that vein so well in the story because it, 
makes total sense. Like it's very easy to relate to. Um, but you're talking about like the deeper fear of this guy is that actually what's happening is his connection, his fear is that his connection with his wife actually isn't as substantial as it should be, right? Um, uh, maybe it's maybe it isn't going to sustain. It, certainly, he's fearful that it's, it's not as as substantial as this blind guy's connection, which seems to have weathered years and another marriage already, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I do think like I I completely agree with you though where where the I'm not, I mean I'm agreeing with you in a, in a way that's maybe implied, which is or inferred, which is. Carver like takes what's Carver's characters when they're the best characters and anybody's characters that are the best is when there's something that you just absolutely relate to no matter what the situation is and you know I think that to your point like you anybody can relate to that kind of jealousy and fear and lack of or desire for ultimate connection you know especially if you've been in um, any kind of relationship whether it's with you know your parents or other kids or whatever like where you want to have that that bond you want to bridge with them you know and there's just something in the way well, and, and and there's also that the reality that you have to face <laughs> at some point which is that you cannot be everything to anyone no. you know like it, there's no way for you to be that to, to do that it's, there's always going to be another person who's going to fill another need that that the person that maybe you're in a relationship with and it's a romantic relationship or maybe maybe it is it's a familial relationship it's like you know we're now parents and we can now recognize that there are like one of the hard things is to realize that, and it's only probably just beginning to happen to us but like there are people who will come into our children's lives who they're going to hold a place that we can't hold and that's actually crucial for them as people and yet that's going to be kind of crushing for us as parents because that's not the way parenting sets out you know parenting sets out and you know what you actually kind of are everything which is a huge responsibility but it is what it is and then holy crap they have to go their own way become their own people and we have to actually let that happen but you know, it's it's there. It is like it, it's it's life, right? It's life. Life is letting go, again and again and again, and that's the hardest damn thing. It is, and I I mean, part of the letting go, I think that we all have to do as well is we have to let go not only of the fact that we're not going to be all things to all people, but we're not going to be all things to ourselves. Like there's yeah that's there's yeah, a measure of perfection right. that we all want to be like we want to be you know oh we just want to all be firing on all cylinders and everything is just we're always charging ahead and we're you know we're we're taking no prisoners and we're making things happen that are beautiful and it's just wonderful and we're you know, we we're not making missteps and well frankly we're just all very well put together and. It's such a farce, you know. It's just not going to happen. But it's very hard to accept that reality. You're you're telling me that that I have to accept that at some point. Yeah, you got to accept that. You're you're never as good looking as you think you are. You're never as funny as you think you are. And then you're never as smart as you think you are. You could be brilliant, beautiful, and a hoot, 
But ultimately, you got. I mean, like, aren't I though? You are. You are. You, you're gorgeous and, and and charming and and very vivacious and and very funny. But I think for this main character, part of his challenge is just accepting the reality of where he's at in this moment. And that's not only you know with respect to the relationship with his wife, but with himself. And so I think that that is you know the big epiphany at the end is like, oh, I am where I am at in this particular time and place and I have an opportunity to be aware or I have an opportunity to be shut down Mm -hmm. and I I think that that what he's doing in that moment like that there's so many little bits of business towards the end there like even when he's you know dealing with his wife's robe being open or closed and Mm -hmm. and that may seem like, you know, just kind of as a throwaway, but at the same time, there's awareness being built there. It's like, oh, yeah, this guy can't see, but I can. I might as well enjoy myself, mm-hmm. you know? And there's like a, oh, you know? I think there's just like a broadening of this guy's perspective as he's going through that that moment with the guy at the end. Mm-hmm. No, that, yeah, that that moment at the end, it's, it's amazing, you know, when you think about building the arc of a story and what it takes to get there. And what it, the thing that consistently, even after having read and reread the story again and again, but the thing that consistently I marvel at in this story is I'm not sure, in a cer- at a certain level, I'm still not sure why we're still with this guy. <laughs> you know? Like, why did we not put the story down and just feel like, what the hell am I doing with this guy? And somewhere in there, and I, I can't put my finger on it yet, but it's a question that fascinates me. Carver has signaled us that this transformation, or that's not really a transformation, I think that's overstating it, this opening within this guy is possible. That there's some, we, we must be reading with some dim hope that this guy will not just be an asshole all the way to the end, Right? And there's ways in which to read that that gesture with his wife's robe. It's just him being, still being yes. an ass, right? Like, ha ha. Um, and, and, and I also agree with you that he's also actually very acutely aware of the situation. He's kind of pulling in all, he's registering a lot. And it may just even be that. It may be his perception, which is what keeps us there. But I... That's the thing that is really compelling to me because we have to stay with him in order to get to the end. And then when we get to the end, we're totally rewarded, fully rewarded. And and something got us there. I I mean, yeah. I mean, we, we truth be known, you and I talked about this story before I reread it. And I told you, we, and, and you we talked about this, which is the suspense that's in the story. Like, the story is incredibly suspenseful. Yeah. And I think that the, you know, I don't know what the reason is for wanting to stay with him, but I do think it is a little bit of, of trying to see if this guy is just going to remain an asshole all the mm-hmm. way through. Like, really? What? And maybe that's part of the brilliance of not telegraphing anything redeemable about him, mm-hmm. you know, in the beginning. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, what are we just going to wither on the vine with this guy and we're going to walk away from the story bummed or is there going to be some payoff here that makes it worth our time 
It is a strange one because, I, like I said, I did go and I read some of the other Carver stories I hadn't looked at in a long time, and they don't have the same kind of kick to me. Like they, even some of the ones that are, you know, classic reveals like a small good thing or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's like okay, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, they feel kind of they're they're not as natural mm-hmm. in terms of the reveal. So where am I headed with this thought, which is to say that the suspense that he brews up, I think, is really brilliant in that it's playing off our association with what it would feel like to be this character. Mm-hmm. Again, to that point of your, of we all have this moment where we're going to have to have some awkward meeting with somebody. And I think that that setup, plus the blind guy, Mm-hmm. And the way he introduces the blind guy and the narrator's kind of perspective at it is just brilliant where he calls, you know, my whole idea of blindness is Hollywood blindness, mm-hmm. you know, like a movie. And everyone can relate to that. You know, there's, and, yeah. and so there's that echo there. And she'll be like, okay, what is this guy going to do with it? And I think the other thing that is really, <laughs> I loved about the timing of this story were the tapes. Mm-hmm. So in this modern moment of ours with texts and you know all this other stuff, it might not have the same kind of resonance because a tape, making a tape for someone where yeah. you sit down and you record something, it takes a lot of time. And then you got to put it in the mail and then you got to send it off and it takes days maybe you know to get yeah. there. There's something very tactile about that experience yeah. that also just ratchets up the fact that there's an intimacy between his wife and this blind guy that he does not have going on. Yeah. Now, you know, who knows, maybe he and his wife exchanged tapes themselves, probably not, but um, let's say that they did, but there is a definite difference in what's going on here. And I think that only adds to the suspense, which is what is going to be the redemption of this fellow? Mm-hmm. Like what is the ultimate Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because as you think about sort of what cues a story gives, there's no question that it, once you put things in motion, you know, like, so we read Sherlock Holmes, right? And Sherlock Holmes, you know, it's explicit for you. There's a mystery, you're going to get the mystery solved. But in fact, that's actually true of every story that you read on some level. And you as a reader are reading investigatively to figure out what is, what's sort of, what's the, not what's the mystery, but the mystery in this story is where the hell is it going, right? But you're absolutely right that the tension that's created, and maybe it is the tension that keeps you reading, whether or not you find this guy, find anything at all redeeming enough to actually think maybe he'll be redeemed, which is an interesting question. I don't know if there's, I still don't know if those cues are in there, but but the tension that's there is... <laughs> don't is, know either. Yeah, I know. Uh, the, the tension that's there, I mean, that's very carefully crafted. You know, here we have a, a relationship between the man and his wife, which is not in a good place, and we're bringing a third character into this relationship that is a figure only of complication, right? No question is going to put pressure on everything. And then, not only that, but he comes in and Carver maximizes the pressure, right away our narrator is an ass to this guy and you know you just like you can just feel you can cut the tension in the story and perhaps that's what keeps you reading i don't know it's like that that propels you to like figure out like how can this resolve and and then of course it's interesting because what in order to resolve the tension he actually removes the wife from the situation 
rather than bring that actual tension to a direct climax of its own, he actually kind of turns the volume down on the tension and allows these two guys to connect because the tension goes away. See, that is really interesting because I, I hear what you're saying and I agree with it, but I also would counter that the really smart move on Carver's point, in my opinion, is that he does remove the wife, which means yeah, the I think responsibility is on the narrator now. Yeah. Like there's no other, th- there's no, there's no escape valve. There's no, there's no scolding either. Mm-mm. It's just all on this dude now. He's got a, at, we're either going to see him continue down his path towards, you know, uh, irredeemable self like that. We just want to go. Yeah. What a, what a, what a jerk. Right. Or something's going to happen. I mean, you know, the suspense with a story like this is, is this is, <laughs> it's just, I feel like narrate, narr- narratives come down to like three models. I mean, this is like no original thought, but maybe the analogy is, which is, I feel like most stories are, we're sending somebody into a minefield. Yeah. Right. And there's the, the narrative of, how does he work his way through the minefield? Then there's the narrative, which is this one, in my opinion, which is the guy steps on a mine but hasn't lifted his foot off of it. Right. What happens? Right. Does he figure out how to defuse the mine? Does he lift his foot off and blow up? Does someone come along and like put a brick on there so he can step off? You know, what is going to happen to him? So he's out there with his foot on the mine. The wife's asleep. It's all up to him, you know, does he blow up or does he survive? <laughs> so you're right. like right there. The blind man hands him a brick yeah. and he accepts it. That's right. And yeah. he, they but do the to, to circle back to one of almost where you started, what, what makes this story then, and what makes honestly like literary fiction more than just the, the how does he get his foot off the mine question, right? Is that it's actually this mind is actually composed of his wants, his needs, yes. and his fears. And and because it's composed of all those things and we actually have seen them, we watch this happen in a very uh, in a way that involves all of our complex human emotions. Right? And that and, and there we also can register that this is actually a remarkable victory. You know, like how often do we ourselves do something like this? <laughs> Very rarely, you know, very rarely. Absolutely. And then, you know, right there at the end, that moment is joy. Like, it's so fast, and yet it's so powerful. Like, we're there with that guy. And in fact, at that point, it's almost like it doesn't even matter what happens to this guy in some ways, because the moment is so surprising and beautiful. You know, the minute the guy says, describe it to me, and then it trans, and then, like there is, it it becomes almost cinematic the suspension of disbelief that's required when he says we'll draw it. Do you have a piece of paper and a pen, you know, or a pencil or whatever? I mean, come on, let's let's get real. You know, like if someone, if you're a jerk and someone says that to you and you're high, I mean, even if you're high, you're like, what? Piece yeah. of, what are we talking about? You know, touch like, your hand? What, what, do you, what do you mean, here, man? I'm not touching you. You know, like exactly. Yeah. You know, so. I just thought that was beautiful, like, mm-hmm. and and you either gonna go with it, which I 
but I did, and I think many people do. You mm-hmm. probably yeah, totally. And, and it's and it, and that is again the joy that payoff right there. But it is, you know, that's what you want. Those three things: need, want, and fear to dissolve to or build to. Like right. you got to go through that stuff. Everybody does. And those joyous moments are the things that you're gonna hopefully remember the rest of your life. You know, mm-hmm. they're the they're those little hubs in your mind where you circle around and you're like, yeah, that happened. That's beautiful. They're yeah. the milestone moments, so to speak. And I think that's the reason why this story. Everybody remembers this story. Has ever read it? Yeah. If you've it's read this story, absolutely right. You know, totally. Yeah, it's there. It's there. You, you can get back to it very easily. I think. Yeah. Or at least it holds a place where you're like, oh, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It's a really interesting question, too, because joy is not actually, it's uh, speaking of intangibility, like the intangibility of love. um, Joy is kind of intangible. It's very difficult. You you cannot draw up a recipe necessarily for joy. Um, And it's funny, we we actually used to, I don't know if it's still happening in the um, 11th grade, we talk a little bit about when we read the Odyssey, the question between, you know, there's that moment when Odysseus is on Calypso's island, right? Mm-hmm. And he's miserable. Mm-hmm. But what does he have? One of the most beautiful women in the world. All the food he wants. He has ambrosia. He has this beautiful island paradise to live in. And the man is miserable. He's sitting there on the, on the shore crying. And the question is ultimately one of the difference between pleasure and happiness. Right. And joy, obviously, is some sort of degree of happiness um, or it's related to happiness. And the depth of happiness is very different than the depth of, um, you know, enjoying an ice cream cone on a hot day. Um, It's a different thing. And you can't it's very it's almost always circumstantial. And so as a result, it's very hard to make a. To construct a logic of the moment out of the moments of joy that have occurred in your life. Oh, absolutely, I totally agree. I mean, I think you 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 put a fine point on it when you say it's circumstantial because I think that it res, it resolves itself primarily based on accident, and meaning that you have you're surprised. Like so much, I think joy and surprise are so tied together. You know, think about the music that you heard for the first time, or especially live music. If the band does something that's completely unexpected, those are really peaks of joy and mm-hmm. because it's completely surprising. Um, it's it's why falling in love is so wonderful, especially when you it's that kind of falling in love when it's not built on pining for somebody you've seen. It's the random exchange or interaction with someone where you're just taken by surprise by their, their, um, their beauty that's either you know physical, mental, or the whole nine yards. When it just catches you off guard, I think that is, that's really the the secret sauce. Which is why I think there's so many more stories about dire straits and just being vexed by everything and all the the you know the yucky stuff because frankly it's easier to write that it's easier to write that stuff for sure i mean think about the movies too like the joyous ones are the ones that they're they're so rare you know mm-hmm. singing in the rain mm-hmm. amelie you know these things like that they're just so rare that when you see them oh, 
it's like, wow, you know, how do they do that? I mean, yes. And it's also, well, it's also because there are so many that have tried and gotten it wrong. <laughs> you know, and yes. there's actually very little resonance in the attempt to tell a joyful story that is, in fact, so circumstantial that the audience can't relate to it. Yeah. And so we watch these stories and we're like, nah, I guess it was good for you. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, so, but whereas, like to your point, the stories about the difficult things actually can resonate more easily with us because the chances are higher that we've experienced that stuff and that there's a commonality of, you know, I mean, it's the Buddha said it, right? All life is suffering. So, um, uh, that's, that is some, there's a great, you know, significant piece of truth in all of that, which is that, yeah, let's, there's a lot of work out there that we got to deal with. There's a lot of hard stuff. And there is actually a great deal of resonance in sharing and connecting to the way other people have navigated that. But yeah, try to capture joy. Yeah. If you do it, you've got gold in your hands. You sure do. You're holding your clutching liquid gold. You know, it's, it is interesting to think, Andy, about like when you're starting to write and you are trying to explore how to make those connections. Because if you don't have some kind of connection... No one's going to want to read this stuff. Right. I mean, it's like describing your dreams to people. Nobody wants to hear your dreams. You know, they just want to go hang themselves while they're listening to you. <laughs> yep. Um, so what is the connection that you build? And that is so hard to do. Like, you have to spend time thinking about that. Yes, writing can be, uh, you know, you know, sudden... What's what's the thing where, they, where you're writing and it's like coming to you? you know? Oh, automatic writing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know uh-huh. it can be automatic. I yeah. mean, all, there's always those moments of automatic writing, but ultimately the work is figuring out the connection and what it is you ultimately want to get to. You know, like what do you want to say? Even even though that's kind of a hacky way of putting it, but but I think you can work on that in simple situations. Like joy can be. You know, even if you go into a dark room and turn on the light, what do you see? You know, mm-hmm. is there something surprising mm-hmm. there? Like even working on a small scale like that, like a vignette or something like that, to try and figure out what that joy would be from, you know, just some small moment. Like, I think, <laughs> you know, so much of what makes something like Cathedral great is the little stuff, the little business that catches your eye that's based on you know, the little, you know, like I'm using the word little a lot, but there are the passing moments that most of us forget, even if they strike us at the time that we see them, we forget them, you know, and Carver and other writers, what they're doing is that they're, they are lassoing those things. Mm -hmm. They're harvesting them, you know, they're making a bank of those and then they go and they dip into the bank and they make a withdrawal and they put it into their stories and those become the bricks upon which the, the rest of the narrative is built. And that is the connection that you have because you see things that you recognize. They feel real. So that's the, the genius of that story is that he takes you on this very minute yet ginormous narrative arc. And what is it, 20 pages or something like that? Not even. Not I even. I think it's 10. Pages. It's 10 pages. Yeah. Yeah, it is 10 pages. Bastard. I know. Um, Anyway, you know, I think that this is why so many of us writers, whatever, 
not to call myself a writer, but we're walking around taking notes all the damn time. Yeah. Like everything. Yep. And um, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Honestly. I mean, every single thing you hear. I mean, that's one of the big drags about this, this moment in time with no gatherings and stuff is that it really knocked down the eavesdropping. Yeah. I totally agree with you. Absolutely. Kind of a trip. Yeah, where are you going to go? <laughs> Overhear a conversation, man. I don't know. I miss my diner, my diner time. Yeah, there you go. It'll come back, I hope. But yeah, no better way. No better way to find a character who's not in your own head already. I was, I was thinking, too, how one of the things I like about the character in Cathedral is that he does not know what is going to happen to him. Like, there's no... There's no surety on his part. I think that adds to the suspense as well, is that him not knowing where he's going to end up is just great because we're on this journey with him. And I can't stand it when my characters feel like they're too locked in. You know, I, I don't like that. It just takes away the fun of it. No, it's kind of it's actually amazing to think about this because the character is in a certain way the character is trapped I think actually by the sameness of his life. Yeah. Right? His life is going nowhere by his own admission nothing is happening to him. And <clears throat> so on the one hand, here's a great opportunity. New person comes into your house and he absolutely does not want it. He he rejects it. He would reject it completely if it was possible for him. And yet, um, to your point, like he actually, I mean, part, maybe that's part of what happens is that he actually loses control of the shape of his day in this particular case, right? And so he can't know where he's going because this new force has entered his life. And, you know, I mean, it's again the old lesson, right? Discomfort often, uh, comfort is often our greatest enemy. So we create these lives in which we can be really comfortable, and the same thing can happen, and it's relatively safe and fine. And it's only through discomfort that we actually uh, attain any kind of growth. Yeah. And certainly, this is a story where that happens. Um, but it's also <laughs> out of discomfort where we lo lose that sense of of what the trajectory is. Like, where is it going? We don't know, because now we're uncomfortable. We can't control it anymore. Um, and he certainly loses that control of his day, too. Yeah. No, I think that's a very good point about how he wants everything to be all in his own little box, such as it is. Mm -hmm. And you're reading Emergency? Is that the, the Dennis? We will get to Emergency, I think, eventually. Yeah, it's in the reader, for sure. Because that would be another white guy. You yeah. Can, and that'll be a nice comparison, juxtaposition against this talk about yeah. Being in your box. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's almost the story of this character, but who actually was, when he was young, saw it coming. Yeah. And what his reaction was to seeing the potential life of turning into the narrator of Cathedral and what he did. Like. All right, folks, that has been... A little time with Scott Adler. Perhaps we will read uh, Dennis Johnson's Emergency. It's certainly in the reader. Uh, hopefully we'll get there and you can remember the end of this conversation when we do. Uh, again, if you want to see Scott Adler's writing, In Exact Memory, look it up on Instagram uh, and have a look. His combinations of old photos and the stories he imagines from them. 
All right. Uh, until next time, I guess, whenever that turns out to be.